Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. Hey, Founder Fam, before we dive into another incredible conversation, I want to share something really special with you. Whether you're just joining us or you've been following us since the beginning, you've been a critical part of our community working to change entrepreneurial education. I started Founder almost a decade ago with the mission to provide entrepreneurs access to the world's greatest business leaders. Our goal was to break down barriers to entrepreneurial education, and that's taken us on a journey from Founder Magazine to this podcast and beyond, and today marks the next step in that journey, Founder Plus. I'm proud to introduce you to Founder Plus, which is an all-access pass to each of our online courses and programs and their proven frameworks for success. It puts every strategy we've compiled from world-class instructors at your fingertips while connecting you to a global network of like-minded entrepreneurs. Founder Plus will take your business to the next level for today and tomorrow. So whether you've just joined our family or you've watched us grow from humble beginnings, we're really thrilled to have you join us in this exciting new phase of making the founder brand and this company the world's best entrepreneurial community to launch and grow your business. So finally, before we get into today's episode, I'm inviting you to come back, check out Founder Plus and go to founder.com forward slash membership. I'm really excited, guys. This is an incredible new evolution of entrepreneurial education, and our mission is really to get as many of these founders that we interview to teach and also give back on the Founder Plus platform and really go more in depth with the knowledge and the experiences and the lessons learned that they're sharing all in Founder Plus. So guys, please go check it out if you're enjoying these interviews. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump in. This is episode number 423 with Tony Jamu of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amorosa, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. In January of 2020, today's guest started Oyster, a software company that helps make it possible for companies everywhere around the world to hire people anywhere. Today, Tony Jamu is here to tell us all about how he's raised $230 million in two years and what it's like taking and building such a rapidly growing startup, running an incredibly successful remote team, and so much more. Please welcome to the podcast, Tony Jamu. So the first question I ask everyone that comes on is, 
How did you get your job, AKA, how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? The story starts back when I was born in Lebanon in 1980. Um, uh, I, uh, I left this country when I was a teenager uh, and uh, I went to France, I did a computer science degree. And, and then I started my first startup 11 years ago that was an API business to uh, build communication application. It went really well, went to 100 million of revenue, took it public in mid 2016. And then I left after a couple of years. And then I, I, I took some time off and I wanted to really align what I do with what I believe in. And uh, at Nextmon, that company, we hired people in 45 countries and I was able to witness the power of distributed hiring. Not only you can access to the global talent pool uh, and build diverse workforce, but you can also change people's life in many countries. You would be the best employer for Diego in Argentina and Mary in Athens and Muhammad in Morocco. So I wanted to replicate that at scale and I couldn't find solution for that. And the more I digged into that problem, the more I realized there is a huge opportunity to use software to make global hiring possible at scale. Uh, but this is where I said, why me? Why should with myself? It's when I realized that if you make global hiring as easy as local hiring, you can change the world. You can reduce brain drain. You can reduce wealth inequalities. People like me who had to leave their home country for better economical opportunities don't have anymore, don't have to anymore. They can decide to stay back home with their families, with their communities. Uh, essentially, you can reduce brain drain and, and shift uh, the economical concentration and distribute it around the world. And this is where I realized I have to do this. This is aligned with how I see the world. Um, and what, what, a, what, a, what a great opportunity to, to put, uh, to invest my skill set, which is building software companies in the greater good of this world. That's how I, that's why I'm doing, this is how I end up doing what I do. Amazing. And I'd love to go back in time, like take us a, a step further back. Um, what did life look like for young Tony? Well, uh, my childhood was not uh, uh, was not all very rosy because when I was growing up, it was a civil war, and uh, uh, I was born in a civil war. And was I was ten years old is when the civil war ended, and you know, shortly after, I left my home country. Um, so, but that that taught me a few things. It taught me about resilience. It taught me about you know the world is a mess. Uh, it taught me about um, risk management. Uh, I've developed uh, hyper vigilance towards risks in general. So that enables me to, as an entrepreneur, uh, to, to identify risk early on and do something about it. Most of the time they don't materialize, but at least uh, I, can, I, can, I can predict them a bit or, or feel them more than others. So that's kind of what, what uh, that period of my life brought to me today. And uh, when you were 17, you moved to Switzerland, is that correct? To France. Oh, sorry, to France and then further to Switzerland. Um, I'd love to know kind of these experiences and how they shaped um, your views on business and, you know, you, you going on to then found uh, Nexmo and, and other companies. Yeah, uh, my personal life and business life took me to live in many places. Uh, I lived in around 10 countries in North America and Europe and the Middle East. and. Uh, uh, what you realize is that these concepts of nationality and border and cultural specificities 
are overrated in our in our world. Actually, there is so much less differences among us as humans than we are told or as the more as we think. Um, and that's how we the concept of oyster is also about creating this company that has uh, planetary uh, diversity. So how can we create a company that that is inclusive of everyone on the planet? Today we are over 100 nationalities uh, distributed in 70 countries. And we have uh, gender equality on, in the business. You have 60% women in the company uh, for a tech company that's unheard of. So we, we're really proud of uh, the diversity that we've created at Oyster, but also excited about the experiment, this, this experiment of having an organization that have from day one, people from everywhere coming and, and building it. So um, what led you to the early steps starting next mile? I'd love to kind of follow your journey. Um, like how, how did you end up there? Yeah, so I was, before moving to Switzerland and, and, and do some business studies, I was, uh, uh, I started my career in the mobile messaging industry. Ooh. And essentially I was working for a mobile messaging provider that really started that industry. Let's say you're a bank and you want to send a one-time password to your, to your users or uh, you're a social network and you want to send a notification. So uh, th at that company, uh, I, they gave me a project called APIs. That was 15 years ago, right? So we, nobody knew what API, APIs were. And I took that project, I run with it, I develop it. Customer loved it. For some reason, this company decided that they don't want to pursue that project, and uh, uh, instead, I was, um, you know, I was, I was preparing to, to go do my business studies. So I left this company. I went to do my business studies, and during that year in Switzerland, um, I had the opportunity to take that idea, that, 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 that potential I found in this business, where APIs, everybody wants APIs, but this company don't want to do APIs. So I, I took that insight and I looked at it through multiple lenses. I looked at it through marketing, finance, innovation, um, fundraising, uh, go to market, and so on and so forth. And, and, and after, at the end of this year, I was ready. I was ready to start this business. Uh, and uh, uh, when I got a job offer uh, from um, a multinational corporation after my business school, I, I had to decline it and I had to pursue uh, that high-risk path. Uh, and uh, and it turned out really well uh, because the like if you think about the the early angel investor investing in the company they did two hundred times an investment in five years so we uh, we did a good uh, return on investment with that opportunity. Mm. So, what were the challenges that you faced in the early days with Nexma? So actually, the first challenge was about fundraising uh, because I, I I was a first time founder and. And I found this guy, angel investor in Morocco who haven't done any investment yet. And he said, I'm going to invest in whatever you do. Uh, and uh, so this is why I decided that, you know, I should not take this corporate, well-paid corporate job because, you know, he wants to invest in me. So I went to Morocco and uh, I spent a few months uh, trying to work with him to get the, the funding closed. And we're talking about 200,000 euro, right? I mean, Oyster, my, my current company, raised uh, 230 million approximately in two years, and here we're talking about 200,000 euro investment. Uh, so it took months to really put together the, the, the paperwork, get him to convince to invest, and uh, so when when he said yes, 
I wanted to invest, I I packed my my suitcase from Casablanca, went back to London, start hired hired an architect and start developing the technology. And uh, the, but the money did not came, the money did not came. So so what? Um, so I called the guy, say, hey, what's what's going on? You know why why the money? Uh, why didn't send me the money? And he said, sorry, the deal is off. We I, I did not I did not foresee there's a this withholding tax in Morocco that makes it more expensive for me to to, to send you the money. So I'm I'm not gonna send you the money. Say, well, you know, wait wait a second. I just hired an architect. He's uh, costing me all my savings. Uh, you know, uh, so we I cannot I, I cannot you know uh, not pay him. So the deal is not off. I'm gonna come to Casablanca and take the money in cash. So I booked ten flights to Casablanca. I every flight I took twenty thousand euro, which is a legal uh, maximum you can bring with you in cash. Came back to London, fund, paid paid the Paul, my architect, uh, and this is how the business started. And this guy did two hundred x, right? He did two hundred x on his investment. So that that was a, a first a first challenge, and and. Uh, uh, the other the other challenge was really taking the company public by merging with a public company. That's that's a you know challenge for anybody. It's a, it is difficult to merge and, and and go public at the same time. And you said you had staff in fifty different countries. Is that right? Seventy. 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 What was it like to run a company of that scale, truly remote, um, even communication like? Yeah, like how how did that work? Did you guys have head offices? It's a thrilling experience, to be honest, uh, because not only I'm building a higher growth tech company, but also we are changing what it means to work. How can we make work work for humans? And uh, what we realize is that humans want flexibility. They want to work when they want to work. Uh, They want freedom. They want to live where they want to live. And they want to be enabled and empowered to be successful. And we've designed an organization that provides exactly that. So how do we do that? Uh, first, we, is, is, uh, we have a way of collaboration and communication that we call follow the sun, uh, that is essentially enable us to work across time zones and geographies. Um, it's based on asynchronous way of communication and collaboration, and we train everybody on it. Uh, we, we open sources, it's actually online, it's available on oysterhr.com academy. You can you can train yourself to be a better remote worker. Uh, you can bring that into your organization and train your staff. So we've, we've done that. So we've kind of really built a way of communication and collaboration, but it's also, we did it in a way to, uh, to fit within our culture and our values. So our values are specifically designed to help us uh, succeed as a distributed company. So they are building trust because it's really harder to build trust without seeing people. So we make it part of your job uh, to build trust on a day-to-day. Uh, secondly, is about uh, elevating talent. Uh, as we hire increasingly talent that don't have access to the opportunity in the technology space, essentially elevating them from countries that don't access that opportunity, we wanna we wanna focus on training and empowerment and enablement and opportunities so we can elevate that talent uh, uh, into into the technology sector. Uh, and, and third, about thriving together. Uh, so these are the foundation of our organization and i have to say the last the last building block of of this culture is is really how do we measure results 
and outcomes because at a distributed company, you don't see people in the office. So you cannot really measure performance other than having a clear way to um, set clear goals and expectation and measure that on a regular basis, regular basis from the company level to the individual level. So we spend a lot of efforts to clarify uh, and define our objective key result process uh, that is more mature than our size. That's how we do it. And it's exciting. Yeah, wow, this is interesting because um, for us at Founder, we have uh, yeah, not 70 countries, but I'd say at least 15, people working in at least 15 different countries all around the world. And it, it does come with its challenges, to be honest with you, Tony. Like um, you talk about trust, you talk about even speed, like nothing beats, like so we have a HQ here in Melbourne, which is where I'm talking to you at. And like, even when we bring people down for just like that, you know, month, like we can move so much faster depending on that person's role. Like, how do you get around that? Yeah. So uh, moving into a distributed way of working actually exposes your weaknesses as an organization and give you the opportunity to address them heads on. So for instance, a company that say, well, we end up having silos. Uh, well, who doesn't have silos in the organization, right? So essentially, this exposes the light on areas of your business that you need to improve. So you need to improve cross-functional collaboration. Or uh, it, is, uh, it is harder to build connection and relationship in, in, a, in a distributed environment. So that push you to, uh, to make it part of your job to build connection, to build trust uh, in the business. It's harder to measure results. So you put in place... Uh, um, an, an OKR process that makes people successful no matter where they are. It's hard to work together across time zone. Then you build a, a program to enable people to collaborate effectively. And just to give you some data points, we've grown 20x last year. And we, so we're talking about speed. You know, this is, this is like hyper growth. You know, Google maybe moved from, you know, zero to double digit uh, ARR in the first year of operation. We did that too, right? So talk about speed. Talk about engagement. We are top 2% of all VC-backed companies in terms of employee engagement. Yeah, wow. And I haven't met 90% of the people that works in this company. So in person. Uh, so essentially, it's going on that path to become distributed organization, uh, show you the weaknesses of your organization so you can fix them and emerge as a stronger company. Any company needs that. Any company needs better way to build trust. Any company need a more defined way of working together. Any company needs a, um, a clear way of setting goals and expectation. This is what makes you stronger. Mm, interesting. Fascinating. So um, you scaled Nexmo um, actually quite fast as well. You know, in, in five years, you're a nine-figure-a-year business in terms of annual revenues. Um, what were the key other key leverage points that helped you kind of achieve that kind of hyper growth. We've talked about this interesting concept of, of truly remote, you know, and, and your values, how, how your operational rhythms, but what, what else could you share? Uh, timing is really important. So, so you really want to time your, your venture uh, at the right time. In the case of Nexmo, we, uh, it was API. So we launched this API platform that enabled developers to send and receive text messages beginning it was only text messages and uh, it was the timing where you had all these over-the-top messaging chats come on board whether it's line in japan whatsapp uh, wechat in china and viber and so on and so forth 
And, and these were applications that grew really fast and they needed one API to reach the whole world. They didn't want it to go and do country by country or integration with every telecom provider. So the timing was perfect. We were there for them and they were looking for us and they had a lot of, a lot of money to spend on these things. And that have two charge the company in the first second year from let's say uh, pretty much 1 million to 20 million of revenue in one year. Mm. Uh, and that enabled us to raise money, that enabled us to diversify our messaging to other channels, we had voice communication, we had video communication and so on and so forth. And then we became platform and then uh, here we are reaching 100 million and then going public. So, so there's events in the company's history that are really pivotal. And, and that was the, the moment for, for next moment. And the moment for, for Oyster, uh, January 2020, we started the business. The pandemic happened right after that. And then the remote work became a thing uh, that, that everybody does. Uh, so that enabled companies to start thinking, hey, now, now I don't have to hire in, in cities where I have offices. I have the world as my oyster when I'm looking for talent. Uh, so again, timing, timing is really important uh, in, in, uh, in positioning your technology into the market. Um, and without that, it's a, it's a struggle. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast, From Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in-the-trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs, people just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. When you talk about like team members, asynchronous communication, like you you could have multiple team members on both sides of the world that it's actually literally impossible to to speak or, or get everyone in at the same time. What would you do there? Yeah, so uh, we have a good example of that. We have our chief workplace officer in Austin and then we have... Uh, one of his team member in Australia, which is exactly you know the opposite time zone. So, so first we uh, we invest a lot in internal documentation so that we enable people to access information no matter what time zone they're in, so they can do their job. So each each of the jobs that we have can do their job independently through uh, through accessing information. Specifically, the more you go down in the organization, the more you go up in the organization, it's harder because uh, tasks are less defined and there's more complexities involved and less structure. So the more you go down in the organization, the, the more you can create an operating system for them to operate without the need of uh, talking to somebody uh, live in, in person. Then, then you also have, um, so if you, we, we use a lot of, of recording. So we record uh, Zoom videos or Zoom calls and people can watch them uh, when they want. Like for instance, today, Today, we have our executive team meeting at uh, 6 p.m. my time here in Cyprus. 
this morning, I'm going to spend a couple of hours watching videos of all the business updates of all of my team before I go into that meeting. So I know everything that's happening in the business by watching these videos. Uh, I watch it, you know, from sales, marketing, product, finance, engineering, operation, uh, uh, the people function. So all, all of the teams send me a Loom video with uh, a reporting on what happened in that week. Uh, and then everybody access the same information. So everybody is on the same page before we enter uh, the executive team meeting. And the executive team meeting also has uh, a synchronous um, aspect of it. So, so there's also maybe a loom to watch, there's a document to read. Uh, so you come to the meeting already prepared and meeting becomes much more effective. Uh, now I have to say that uh, there's, uh, there's still a need to meet in person. Uh, so, and, and, and the difference, the difference is it, it, for me is in-person meeting gets you to turbocharge the trust that you have with people because there's a lot of emotional signaling that cannot pass through the video camera. So this body language, there's even at the hormonal level, you can actually uh, connect uh, body to body uh, when you are in the same place. So for me, you have to meet in person. Uh, every company will decide, every team will decide how frequent that is required. Uh, in my team, it's every four or five months. Uh, we meet one, one time in person. And, um, and one of my team members told me uh, a sentence the other day that resonated well with me why these physical meetings are important is that she told me that before meeting in person, she knew that she could trust the team. And after meeting in person, now she feels that she can trust the team. So it's really the difference between knowing and feeling. Uh, so that's why it's important from time to time to to add some in-person connection and, and bonding among the team. You talked about a, an internal documentation and, and getting that like your OS, you know, your wiki, internal wiki, like really next level. What tool do you guys use? Notion, Guru, Confluence? What's your one of choice? So for, for our internal documentation, uh, Notion, uh, is the go-to uh, uh, place. So for uh, long-term uh, uh, documentation, if it's for short-term collaboration, we use Google Docs for that. Yep. And then it, if it needs to live beyond that, then it goes into Notion. Uh, and we also use Asana for project management. Uh, we use Slack for asynchronous messaging. We use Zoom for synchronous video. We use Loom for asynchronous video. And... Uh, uh, we use uh, Pando, which is uh, an employee feedback platform where we give continuous feedback to each other. We have an app called Kona that goes into your Slack and asks everyone in, every day how they are feeling. And then you start gathering sentiment because also part of if you, is the question is how do you manage uh, a distributed organization? Is you're not, there's no office, so you're not seeing people. You're not having these... Uh, uh, these conversation on the water cooler near the water cooler, right? So, so you're not you don't have physical 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 sense of how people are feeling. You know, you can sometimes you go into an office and you get a vibe, right? Of you know, what's going on here, you know. So, uh, so how do you replace that? We have an app called Kona that measures sentiment every day. Everyone um, can say how they feel, and and we aggregate that across the company, and we see how 
it's trending. For instance, when the uh, war in the Ukraine uh, war broke, we saw a dip and then came back. Uh, now we are going into a turbulent financial phase of the history of the financial market. We also have that dip as well. There's a high level of uncertainty. So um, uh, we, we, use, um, we use also engagement tools. So we, we measure engagement on a, on a quarterly basis uh, with our team. Um, yeah, this is some of the, we call them the tools and the rules of how we operate. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Look, it's just interesting to hear because you guys are you know, scaling really fast. It's always interesting to hear what kind of tools and, and what your stack looks like. It's actually not too dissimilar to us. Um, yeah, we don't use Notion though. We use Guru, Get Guru. Mm, I've heard. I've heard about Guru. Yeah. yeah, it's actually one of the portfolio companies of one of my investors, Emergence yeah. Capital. So we're them up. Oh, there you go. So um, I'd love to talk about Oyster a bit more. Um, you talked about this idea of of finding talent and and really um opening up the world to global talent how are you guys sourcing like how many people within oyster like uh, how many different countries do you have people within oyster yeah so uh we have hired people in over 70 countries yep and our uh, we have uh what really has been amazing for our talent acquisition strategy was the amount of inbound candidates that we receive, applicant that we receive. We receive, we receive 13,000 job applications a month. People want freedom. They want flexibility. They want to work for a company that gives them the opportunity to be successful. Uh, we have uh, uh, built an employee brand, that an employee value proposition that resonates with what people want. Yeah, wow. So you guys can't even get through that. Like how do you even? You, we have technology. We have technology that we use to 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 look at uh, uh, to, to kind of surface the one we want, and actually the rest we help them uh, because we cannot hire thirty thousand months. I mean, like we nobody really can, but uh, would love to hire them. But essentially, many of them that don't get hired, they we recommend them to go to the Oyster Academy to get trained. Uh, we help them to know where to apply for a remote work job because we're not the only distributed company in the world, right? So there are others. Uh, so we help these job seekers who are looking for freedom and flexibility to find what they're looking for. Yeah, wow, that's crazy. Um, I'd love to delve a bit deeper like on the employee brand and how you guys have built up this insane talent wait list. Can you give us more insights there? What is unique about Oyster is that we need to be the gold standard of distributed work for us to be credible to sell into HR innovators. Uh, so this is similar to the Salesforce.com strategy. It had to be the best in B2B sales in order for them to be credible to sell you the best CRM software. This is the same as HubSpot. You had to be the best at inbound marketing yourself to be able to sell you the best inbound marketing platform. So at Oyster, we have to be the best at being distributed, human-centric, diverse, and mission-driven so that we can be credible to sell to these HR innovators. And so, so we, we open source a lot about the things we do and how we do them and why we do them. And people listen, people see that, and they, uh, they realize that this is what they want to do in their life. They want to find a job that enable them to, be, uh, to have meaning, uh, they, that uh, enable them to have flexibility and freedom and also enable them to be successful no matter what they are. 
not because you want to live in Cyprus, which is where I live, small Mediterranean island here, that you have to sacrifice your career to be successful. You know, if you want to go pick up your child at 2 p.m. from the school every day, it doesn't mean that you have to sacrifice your career. If you want to go back to your home country and be close to your family and your community, uh, if you want to go live in the mountains alone, as long as there's internet connection, then you, you can do that. So uh, essentially, there's we are we are on really an unprecedented opportunity in the in, in the in the history of work. You know, we uh, we're going to have 1.5 billion knowledge workers coming into the workforce in the next 10 years. They only need an internet connection and a laptop to be to be effective, and they can be anywhere. So, so that becomes an opportunity for us to rethink what work is and how we can make work work for humans. And that's what we're doing. And when it comes to kind of, I guess, um, Oyster, where you guys are going, what's, what's your biggest challenges that you guys have right now? Our biggest challenge is uh, the macroeconomical conditions that the world has put itself into uh, because these central bank measures to increase interest rate are targeting employment. They want employment to soften, and, and we thrive when employment thrive. So, so that's going to be a phase that we're going to go through where we have to uh, hunker down uh, and, and make sure that we exit that phase, a stronger, more resilient, uh, and, and a better oyster. Uh, that's a more efficient oyster. That's what we're focused on right now. But because you employ people in so many countries around the world, um, many of them would be most likely developing would that not mean that you guys would have really strong um, costs amongst amongst the business, and you have would have a great balance sheet because you've raised two hundred million? Like, wouldn't wouldn't now be the time for you guys to double down? Uh, well, it depends how much the demand is going to fluctuate. So we this is one of the unknowns of the future, right? I mean, it could be that things are it could be that the music is going to stop completely or not. Like we don't know. Uh, so at the moment we are very conservative, very prudent, uh, because if we if we go and and spend too much, uh, grow too much on our on our headcounts, then uh, we might end up to do some difficult decision in the future. So we really want to be very prudent in in weathering this phase of uh, the world uh, uh, financial crisis essentially uh, to enable us to uh, own more of our destiny. Like we don't want to be dependent on uh, fundraising. Uh, so you know what what needs to happen uh, for us to uh, to get to a place of totally control of your own destiny. Now, if we if things get uh, if things become better than we expected, we can accelerate, right? So we we reserve the right to accelerate uh, when things changes. Uh, but for now, it is really about being prudent and conservative, and uh, uh, and really focus on what's going to make the business a better business. Mm. Awesome. Um, you talked about risk management, and I can see you're kind of practicing what you preach. You talked about uh, risk management and basically your internal framework around that um, and how you assess and manage risk across uh, building businesses. Maybe even I want to talk to you about your investing in your portfolio as well. Um, any insights you could share around how you think about risk, how you manage it? Um, you said oftentimes you're anticipating something that doesn't ever occur, but it, you're, you're still anticipating. It sounds like you're quite paranoid, but in a great way. 
uh, yes, good to hear that there's pan pan um, uh, being par paranoid and, and and in a great way in one sentence. Thank you for that. For, first, like you don't want to depend on founder, you know, founder uh, fear reaction to risk. I mean, that's not really what uh, that works well. Maybe in the very early days of a business, but very quickly as you as you scale and you get to a, a relatively uh, sizable business, let's say over five billion of revenue then you uh, you want to change how you how you see risk you want you don't want to really go with the instinct of a founder who sees risks everywhere and who wants to um, do something about it so you want to move into a more structured approach to measuring and, and and making decisions based on risks and you want to factor risk into your business so we have uh, in our decision making frameworks we look at various angles one of them is risks and part of the risk there's a number of risks that happens in the business there is regulatory risk there's financial risk there's reputational risk uh, there's margin risks so there's a number of ways we look at uh, risks and and each this each big decision uh, that is cross-functional that has been made in the business uh, that surface to the c-level in the company uh, will have a risk assessment and what it means uh, to 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 make that decision got you and how often are you assessing that risk or all the different risks? Uh, so we have we have a compliance team that is really kind of on top of all, you know, monitoring all the risk uh, in real time. Think about, you know, cybersecurity risks. So we have like real time monitoring about this kind of stuff. Um, uh, but for from an executive team standpoint, it happens on a quarterly basis when we are in the planning process and deciding whether there is a a new initiative you want to take, what are the risks of that initiative, and or you want to you know, pull back from certain initiative, what is the risk of pulling back from that? Um, so uh, so that happens on a quarterly basis. And from time to time, we have these uh, uh, decision moments where we have an important decision that we want to make as a cross-functional team. And then uh, that also happens a couple of times a quarter when there's like significant, complex, uh, cross-functional decision that needs to be made in the surface to the executive team. Got you. And uh, you talk about cross-function, cross-functional teamwork. What do you do within Oyster to encourage that, um, and to, yeah, avoid silos? Yeah. So, so good question. So, one technique that we've implemented successfully uh, in the last few quarters was when we set our objective and key result, uh, we make sure that uh, the owners there's. Uh, there's multiple owners for each of these KR for multiple functions. So essentially, we get the team to own the same goal and work together uh, towards that goal. Um, and uh, and also as part of the planning process, we have that happens on a quarterly basis. We have uh, intensify a cross-functional dependencies uh, analysis. So essentially, we before we commit to uh, a goal, uh, the team have looked at what are the cross-functional dependencies and how to address them. Um, yeah, these are the two, I say, technique from a, from a goal-setting standpoint that, in a, that get the, the company to behave in a more collaborative way and reduce the amount of silos that are in the business. Mm, okay. Um, so after you exited Nexmo, um, there was a merger, right, with the NASDAQ-listed company? That's correct? Yes. Yep. Uh, yeah, it was Vonage. Vonage, yeah. yep, that's right. Um, so then you went on to start building an investment portfolio. Um, uh, 
I'm curious, what do you look for when you invest in companies or platforms? Yeah, my angle is technology for impact. Uh, I believe that the companies that use this technology to change the world are going to be the biggest technology companies of tomorrow. Uh, and so I focus on, on that. A lot of it is an HR technology, to be honest, because uh, uh, technology that helps human uh, do better their work, uh, to change their lives is, is, uh, is very impactful by design. Uh, but not limited to that. Uh, so we invest across the uh, the spectrum in uh, uh, in early stage to late stage, and and uh, uh, but the, the 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 one of the main criteria is really how what is the impact that this investment is going to make, um, and this is a broad there's a broad uh, areas of impact that we look at uh, environmental, societal, and so on and so forth. Working towards wrapping up, conscious of your time, uh, when it comes to, I guess, Oyster, where do you see you guys in the next five to 10 years from now? I see Oyster becoming one of the largest, if not the largest employer in the world. You have Walmart that has the largest employer in the world that is not a government, uh, is around 2 million of employees. So we want to we wanna get to that status of having uh, be, becoming the largest employer of the world but we want to do it in a way that delivers impact. You want to make sure that increasingly uh, these employees under management on the Oyster platform, uh, not only they have a fair and safe and delightful employment experience, but they also distribute it around the world increasingly in emerging economies. Uh, to we, we have a goal of uh, remitting over a billion uh, in, uh, in funds uh, every year uh, from or more from from 2024, that's our goal. We are on, on track to reach that goal. Um, uh, because, because essentially, if you think about it, many emerging economies, they depend on fresh flow of, of currency that's called foreign direct investment. Uh, these hard currency that they depend on. And, and you see today in the world, there's many countries that are their currency is collapsing uh, because the, the, the amount of flow coming into their country to support the need of the, of the country in hard currencies, namely US dollar, is, is drying out over time. So what they depend on, the major source of that is actually uh, uh, is, uh, is the, um, the remittance, right? So is immigrant leaving their home countries, going to live in the West where they have economical opportunity and send back home five to 10% of their income. That's one of the biggest foreign direct investment in the world today, imagine if people don't have to leave their home country, they can stay in their home country, they will be paid a salary that is above uh, their market salary, sometimes a life-changing salary in many, many economies. Uh, and that money, uh, it's not only 5% that is coming back home, these remittance, it's 100% because you're paying the full salary directly into that local economy. So this is what how we see impact. We see impact is by, by seizing that opportunity to distribute work, we can elevate talent uh, from certain countries to participate in that e economy that we all participate in today uh, uh, while staying home and while uh, strengthening their, their local communities. Yeah, wow, what an incredible vision. Um, so look, uh, we're gonna work towards the hot seat. This is uh, rapid fire questions and answers. What's the most single important trait for entrepreneurs from your experience? Resilience. If you could go back to your first day in business and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be and why? 
start Oyster one year earlier. And why? Because, because you know, we had a bit, a bit more time to prepare. You know, we were like put right into, into the storm. Uh, what's something you've learned today? I learned how um, everything is connected. Like from if you think about my background, where I started and where I am today, it, it it's all has that sort of uh, connection and, and the dots are connecting. So thank you for asking me this question and enabling me to make sense of it all. You're welcome. And last question is, if you could have dinner with any entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Let's, let's take a deceased one, uh, Henry Ford, I'd like to understand how he was able to get consumers to pick one color and buy it. I want to understand how he was able to build a great business with less is more. That would be the question. Love it. Well, Tony, thank you so much for your time. This was an incredible interview. I learned so much personally as well. And I look forward to watching from afar the oyster journey. And I wish you nothing but success. Thank you for having me. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.